Good morning. This is Pastor Frank with the Lunch Break Bible Study. 20 minutes to get you in the Word and on with your day. 20 minutes so that you can listen to this pretty much anytime you need to, even if you just have a lunch break. Today we're continuing with the Gospel of Mark. We have been through Mark chapter 2, verse 12, and the way that that section ended in episode 3, Jesus had amazed everyone. He had healed a paralytic. Uh, This man had been lowered into the house where Jesus was in Capernaum. And when he was there, Jesus looks and sees this man being lowered through the roof because his friends can't get him in the room. There's so many people have crowded the door to this house where Jesus is. When Jesus sees him, he looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. And this amazes everyone in the room. Uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are offended by this. They said, this is blasphemy. You're, you're taking onto yourself the things that belong to God. Only God can forgive sins. And then Jesus says, well, I'll, I'll prove to you that I have this authority. Because then he looks at the man and says, take up your mat and walk. And, and the man picks up in, in full view of everyone. He just picks up the mat that he was carried in on and walks away. Now, everyone is amazed by this. And this is helpful in... Later on in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 11, Jesus complains about Capernaum, the town where this this event had happened. And he said, Capernaum, if the things that happened in your town, the things like the, the, the casting out of the demon and the healing of the diseases and the healing of this man, he said, if the things that had happened in Capernaum had happened in Sodom, which was destroyed in the Old Testament for its wickedness, if those kind of things had happened in Sodom, Sodom would have turned and repented. So you can see that Jesus, even though he's amazing people, his ministry is not having the kind of success that you should expect. One of the things that's often complained of in terms of Christian faith is the idea that where are the signs and miracles now? I would believe if I could see. Show me a sign that, and then I will believe it. But as far as these stories go... They say they're fairy tales. Well, the interesting thing is that in the scriptures, in the gospels themselves, we have events like this, and we also have a strong resistance to Jesus's ministry, even among the eyewitnesses. Even people who have seen what he does and can do refuse to believe. So there's more to it, and this is why um, John's gospel is especially helpful here. When Jesus tells Thomas, You believe because you have seen, but blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. So now we are moving on to verse 13 in Mark chapter 2. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, and a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them, as often happens in Mark's gospel. And then again, by the lake in Capernaum, as he's walking along, he meets another disciple. Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. So just as Andrew and and Simon, who was later named Peter, and James and John are from Capernaum near the seashore, so also this Levi character. Now we uh, we believe that this Levi is is Matthew, who is uh, also referred to in the Gospel of Matthew. And, And Jesus meets him at a tax collector's booth. And what we think maybe is that he is sitting at some sort of toll booth for the for the docks there. So your your fishing boat would have to tie up at the docks and things like that. And you would have a tax collector who would 
you would pay the toll to be out on the Sea of Galilee fishing. And that's where Levi is. So you can imagine, you know, James and John and Andrew and, and Simon kind of know each other, and probably they've met Levi before as well. And you can imagine that he's a tax collector, which is already a less than savory class in the, uh, in the, in the time of that world. They were viewed as uh, traitors. They were viewed as Roman sympathizers and, and friends of the Gentiles rather than faithful to God's people. So you can imagine sort of the animosity that would have existed between ordinary people and a tax collector who was also a Jew. But if, if my theory is correct, then you can imagine the animosity of the toll keeper on the Sea of Galilee versus the four disciples that Jesus already has. If they've met, they're not friends. But Jesus calls him just as well. Follow me. And Levi, that is Matthew, gets up and, and goes with Jesus. Just like the disciples said, just like the other disciples said, they had dropped their nets and left everything. Levi just gets leaves the tax collector's booth, which is a you know it's not a you're not a popular person, but it's a lucrative business to be in, and follow Jesus. And then verse fifteen, then Jesus goes to his house. Right, of course, it, there's no transition here. It just Levi gets up and follows him, and then while Jesus was having dinner in Levi's house. So again, Mark boils everything down. There's there's no uh, transitions. Everything is happening one right after the other. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed Jesus. Now, I'm going to ask you to sort of bear with me as I go on uh, kind of a soapbox here. Uh, your NIV translators and many other translators, when they translate Mark chapter 2, verse 15, they'll refer to many tax collectors and sinners, and they'll put sinners in quotes. And that's a, you know, I understand what they mean by that. The idea that there are some people who are sinners and some people who are not sinners is, as, as Christians, we find that idea weird, that anyone would refer to themselves as not a sinner, because we know that we all are. You know, the, the, the Bible is very clear about that. St. Paul teaches us the wages of sin is death. Isaiah says there is none who is righteous. All of our righteousness is like filthy rags. Um, so we know that we are all indeed sinners. But Mark's gospel, when he refers to sinners, he's referring to people who are particularly outside of the grace of God, particularly outside of the understanding of who is part of the nation of Israel, who is part of God's faithful people, and who isn't. Now, your translators note that by putting quotes around the word sinners, as if to say, many tax collectors and quote-unquote sinners, because we don't want to use that word because we know we're all sinners, we're eating with Jesus. But looking at the text... It's important, I believe, to let that word sinners be what it is, because Jesus never, never, not once in any of the Gospels, when someone is referred to as a sinner, Jesus never argues about it. He never looks at anyone and says, oh, well, you know what? You're just as bad as they are because of this, this, and this. He never looks at anyone and says, no, he's actually or she's actually not a sinner. What Jesus has come to do is to Redeem those who are penitent. Redeem those who confess their sins. And that's the main issue here. It's not that they are 
not the people who have done bad things. It's that there are people who are seeking a new beginning. And Jesus says he wants to be with them. So when the teachers of the law and the, and the Pharisees came to Jesus, eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, eating with people, they say, well, these, these sinners and tax collectors, these are people who are outside of, of the family of Israel. These are people who have, who have abandoned God and God's people. Why are you eating with them? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So the upshot of all this is that Jesus is not afraid to call people sinners. As a matter of fact, he openly does it. But the point is, is that these are the people I came to rescue. People who you believe are outside of the family of God. They're irredeemable. There's nothing that God can do for them. Jesus says, none of that is true. They are God's people. I can do anything for them. Verse 18. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And fasting isn't a practice that you find much among modern Christians. But in the time and in the ancient world, it's, it's very common. And it's regularly used in the Old Testament as a sign of sorrow, uh, whether it's done over death, right? It's a sign of grief or whether it's done over sin as a sign of repentance. We see both of those usages of fasting in 1 Samuel. Samuel is the judge of Israel. God has placed Samuel the prophet as the, uh, the ruler, the rescuer of God's people who had been oppressed by the Philistines at the time. So God tells Samuel, and Samuel tells the people, look, the Lord will be with you here as you are afraid of your enemies, but First, you need to put away your false gods. And they did. They put away their false gods. They gather at Mizpah. This is uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 6. And then they drew water, poured it out, and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. So that's the first instance that, that we see here in 1 Samuel about people fasting in repentance, fasting because they are grieving over their own sin. And the second one we find in 1 Samuel chapter 31 where King Saul, the first king of Israel, has died in battle, and the people come and reclaim his body, and they take his bones and bury them, and then they fast for seven days. So fasting is something that's done in the Bible when you are repenting for sin or when you're grieving, and John's disciples and the Pharisees are fasting, probably in terms of repentance, because that's John's big theme, is he's asking people to repent. Then some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but your disciples do not fast? And then Jesus answers, his point here being that the time for sorrow is over. The great forgiveness has arrived. The forgiveness promised in Isaiah chapter 40, as, as John the baptizer himself had, had, had announced at the beginning of Mark's gospel, had announced that this was happening, what Jesus was preaching was that the kingdom of God had come upon these people. There was no more uh, need for fasting. Their judgment was over. And so Jesus gives an illustration, almost a parable. He says, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and, from them, and that day they will fast. 
So Jesus's point here is that do you go to a wedding celebration and fast? Do you go to a wedding celebration and refuse to eat? No, he says that's a time for celebration. It's a time for feasting. And he says, me being here is like the great wedding celebration of God's prophecies finally coming true. But then Jesus continues. He continues to give more of a teaching. He uses this teaching moment here to further explain what the kingdom of God is like. He says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making it worse. Right? So if you imagine you have a, a, a garment and you take a, a, a patch of new cloth and then you throw it in the dryer, right? And it, and it shrinks and uh, it's going to tear away from the, from the old fabric or, you know, it's going to make the, make the hole a bigger problem. And he says, nobody takes new wine and puts it into old wineskins. Why? Because the old wineskins have already stretched out from holding the wine as it fermented and created all the extra carbon dioxide gas and everything. Uh, those wineskins have already been stretched out. But if you put new wine in there, it's going to try to stretch them again and it's going to break. And the wineskins will be, be ruined. He says, you know, you put new wine in new wineskins. And the point is, is that Jesus himself is the new thing that doesn't fit into the old way of doing things. Not that the old way of doing things were bad, but the mourning over sin and the mourning over Israel's continued exile and their continued status of, of not being where they were supposed to be as God's people. He said, those times are over. You can't fit me into those old practices because the things that you're mourning have passed. This is not a funeral anymore. This is a wedding reception now. Verse 23. Again, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along and began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Okay, so three criticisms in a row for Jesus. First, that he eats with the sinners and the tax collectors. They don't like that. And Jesus says, I came to call the sinners. Where do you expect me to be eating? The second, Jesus and his disciples are not fasting. So he gets, they get mad at him when he eats, and they get mad at him when he, when, he, when he eats with the wrong people. And now they're getting mad at them again because they're eating again. But this time, the Pharisees actually are technically correct in their reading of the law. They said, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, the, the rule is that you're not supposed to work. That's God's law, that he had set aside the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, and he set it aside as a day of rest, a day of holy assembly, a blessed day, because on the seventh day he rested from all his labors of creation. And the Pharisees are upset with this, that the disciples are walking through these grain fields and just picking heads of grain and eating them as, as they walked. So Jesus doesn't argue with them over it. The disciples are violating the Sabbath restrictions. But Jesus turns their attention back to the scriptures, as he often does. He turns their attention to the scriptures and says, Do you not remember what King David did when he and his companions were, were hungry? So that story, um, King David was, before he was king, he was, on the, he was on the run. He had been anointed by Samuel, who we talked about a minute ago. He had been anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. And the current king of Israel, Saul, who we also spoke about a minute ago, Saul was extremely jealous of David, and David basically had to flee for his life. He had to run away from Jerusalem because he thought Saul was going to kill him. 
So when David gets to the, he gets to the tabernacle because the temple had not been built yet. He gets to where the Ark of the Lord was and there's a priest there. And David takes some of the bread that has been set aside that's supposed to be in the temple as a remembrance of the people of Israel. He takes some of that bread and the priest gives it to him and he eats it, even though only the priests are supposed to be eating that bread. And Jesus says, the point of that is that something bigger was happening. Something something big was happening in the kingdom of God. And God used his servant and set aside that necessity for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath, right, this seventh day, this day of rest, was made for people. People were not made for the Sabbath. God made his creation because he wanted to put people in it, and he created the Sabbath to make sure that his people would have that time of sacred assembly, have that time to hear the word of the Lord. But he says the time for that day has superseded by his need with his disciples on this day. Just as the just as the law regarding that bread in the in the tabernacle was superseded by King David and his companions on the run from from King Saul who was trying to kill him. Now make no mistake, to compare yourself to King David Right? To, to compare yourself to King David is kind of a big deal. To tell the Pharisees, like, well, you know how, how it was with King David. It's the same thing with me. That's not nothing. That's kind of significant. But even a much bigger deal is what he says in verse 28. He says, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus puts himself as master over even the Sabbath regulations. Now, that's a much bigger deal. And this is going to cause those questions of Jesus's authority to come back. Who are you? Who do you think you are that you can just set aside the law of God, the law of the Sabbath, what Moses had given his people? Who are you that you can do that? Jesus is going to prove that authority again, just like he proved he could forgive sins by healing the paralytic. He's going to go in chapter 3, verse 1, and he's going to show again his authority to do the things that he claims he can do. And that's what we'll get up to next time. Again, uh, this is Pastor Frank with the Lunch Break Bible Study. I'm here in Kansas City on a nice snowy day in November. It's been super great talking to you. If you like this podcast and you want to help it out, here's what you can do. If you're listening to this, if you're listening to this on iTunes, if you can go to the podcast section and, and go to the, the page where this is hosted, and, and give it a five-star review. That is immensely helpful. I don't know why that's immensely helpful, but every podcast says that's, a, that's an important thing. So I'm going to just assume that they're all right and say that's an important thing. So go to iTunes, find the place where you can review it, give it a five-star review. Apparently that's super helpful for me. Uh, more importantly for me is if you share this with a friend. I do this, uh, I, I had no idea that I would even get one listener when I started doing this. Maybe I'll, I, I don't know how many listeners I'll, I'll possibly get. But what's more helpful for me than anything else is if you share this with a friend. So if you find this on Facebook, and, and this is going to be on my own personal Facebook profile, but I've got my own page for the Lunch Break Bible Study. You can search for it there. Uh, if you can find it and... Uh, and share that status with with the people that 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 see your Facebook page. That's actually immensely helpful. That's gotten 
a lot of people to listen to this that I had no in- belief that was there. I just thought maybe a few people in my own congregation would listen. So um, that's been very exciting for me. That's a super way to help me or giving me a five-star review or, or, or give me a positive thumbs up or however you listen to podcasts. That'd be amazingly helpful. I'm Pastor Frank, and I hope you have a blessed day.